Good day, everybody. Welcome to the High Action Podcast. You're listening to Will Brom, along with John Story and Perry Smith. You're also listening to the New West Guitar Group playing John Story's song called California. And speaking of John Story, we're going to be diving into his life and his music and everything else today. Uh, we're starting the Origin series, a three-part series on this podcast where we interview each other and try to get some more dirt on each other. Because um, I've <laughs> known John. Diving in. I've known John since 2011, I think we met, because you were playing on Andrew Ballow's graduate recital at Cal State Long Beach. Yes. I think that's, that's when right. we met. Yeah. And yeah. Um, wow. and then I joined New West in 2015, and obviously I got to know you a lot better then, but there's also a lot I just don't know about you. I mean, Perry probably knows more about you, but I'll ask the more risky questions, so... Uh, well, I'm I'm ready to air it all out for our listeners, our loyal listeners who have just been just dying to know more about who we really are in real yeah. life. Speaking of those listeners, we want to thank everyone who is a patron of the New West Guitar Group. Check out uh, patreon.com slash New West Guitar Group and um, ask us some questions and um, get some special videos, get some special content. Definitely check that out. And um Stay tuned for more live shows that mm-hmm. that are uh, that are in the works. So, John Story, yo, a fellow Pacific Northwesterner. Yes, very yeah. much so. Still feels weird to be in California, but hey, you know what? It's uh, it, the West Coast is the best coast, right, Perry? That's right. <laughs> so, Will, quick question: Who's uh, mm-hmm. who's sponsoring this episode? Is it Black Bear Diner or is it Les Schwab Tires? What do we got? <laughs> Uh, oh, Pete's Pete's Coffee is sponsoring Pete's today's coffee. episode. Okay. Well, they're Ber- they're Berkeley, California. Maybe we should say um, Dutch Brothers Coffee because they're based in Grants Pass, Oregon. So yeah. Major Dickinson's Blend is yeah. sponsoring today's episode because you know John and I are from the Pacific Northwest. John likes coffee, right? Oh my gosh, yes. So John, take me back. Take us back to Pendleton, Oregon. Oh man. I don't know. I escaped, you know, as my mm-hmm. friend Spencer Day says, I was like the kids on the milk cart and I actually figured out how to get out of there, you know. Um, but uh, <laughs> Pendleton is uh, it's a bustling metropolis of 12,000 people, home of the Pendleton Roundup, of which both of my grandparents are in the Roundup Hall of Fame, champion barrel ra- barrel racers and ropers. So I come from a different background. Uh, my my forefathers were not jazz musicians. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, Pendleton. Um, my cousins still farm on the South Reservation up there. About three thousand acres of wheat property, barley, oats, rye, a lot of that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's great to get back there. I'm an outdoorsy guy, so I like getting up there and getting out in the woods, doing some fishing now and then and stuff. But um, but yeah, I mean, I've been in L.A. since uh, two two really you know including mm-hmm. college so it's it's kind of i don't know i've i've maybe i'm i guess i'm a city slicker now <laughs> do you think that your mom being a pianist and a musician and a music teacher had a part to do with you getting into music and or guitar yeah she got me lessons when i was little and she's a music teacher and she started me on piano and apparently i didn't really want to do that i wanted to play guitar at a really mm. early age and yeah, you know, she, um, she, my, my, her mother, she was a great musician. I learned a lot from my grandmother. Uh, and, and then, 
yeah, we we were a pretty musical household. My mom and I were always kind of jamming and singing songs and playing music and stuff. Not so much on my dad's side, but but definitely. And my mom having a lot of like jazz records and kind of a lot of different stuff, you know, surprisingly got me sort of hooked on on jazz guitar at a pretty young age too. When I mm-hmm. when she showed me what that really was all about, you know, it sounds like she was the type of parent that would really encourage your music and take you to gigs, take you to meet guys like Dan Balmer, uh, probably encourage you to study music in college. That's not always the case for yeah. kids with music, right? I mean, there's just different yeah. scenarios. She, she had great advice. She was a piano performance major in college at U of O in the 70s, and then she did USO tours in Okinawa and Korea and, and the 70s. And um, my mom always wanted to, I think, be a performing, touring musician too, but she ended up going more into education. She always had great advice for me. You know, she said, um, uh, you know, it's something you have to really, if you want to be a musician, you have to really just completely start everything from the ground up. And, and she gave me a good example of that and, and encouraged that. And, and, and even my dad, my dad was an attorney, but he, he was kind of indifferent to me being a musician. He just mm-hmm. believed that I could do whatever I wanted to do. And, you know, I think the early mm-hmm. 2000s were kind of a tough time for a lot of parents in this country telling kids what to do with college because the cost of college got so expensive around that time. And it was kind of before we're in this phase we are now where, uh, you know, it's it, I, I don't know. I have I've, a lot of my students. I hear a lot of their parents are a little more apprehensive to tell them to go study music in college than, right. than I think our parents might have been. But yeah, but she um, she hit me to USC and got in touch with, like you said, I mean, she reached out to Dan when we were in Oregon, when I was in middle school, high school and, and introduced Dan Balmer to me. And, um, and then when I was in high school, she helped me connect to some family friends on the East coast who housed me for a while. And I spent some time in Boston and New York, my senior year of high school. I went there for a couple weeks at a time just to get a feel for those cities and ultimately decided to come down here to, to LA and, and go to SC. And yeah, she was very supportive of that whole journey. And she's always been somebody that I could go to and ask a lot about kind of this thing. Although my career has been pretty different than what she did. Cause she was a full-time teacher. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do you remember when you were, I mean, I would imagine it would be sometime around high school. Was there a moment that you can remember thinking, yeah, this is what I want to do with my life, meaning play guitar, play music. Do you remember that moment or did it just kind of happen? I, yeah, I think that um, it happened in some phases. I think when I was little, I kind of saw myself either being like my dad, being an attorney or being like my mom, being a musician and I guess, yeah, when I was really young, maybe six, seven, eight years old, I, I knew I could become a musician and wanted to do it. And and then um, when I was 13 or 14, when I first went to some of the summer jazz camps where you see the older kids, the high schoolers that are taking it pretty seriously, and then they're approaching college, and you learn that you can go to college for a music major, I think about that time I said, okay, let's set our sights on that. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so I, I didn't really even think much about how difficult it'd be being a musician. I said, I'm just going to move to L.A. or New York, and I'm going to start becoming a jazz guitar player, and I want to be like Grant Green, Kenny Burrell, and all these guys, even though it was a pretty different uh, different generation, different different uh, background, different ethnicity, you know, the whole thing. I mean, I, f- mm-hmm. I feel like for me, I, I didn't really think much about it. I just wanted to go do it, and I was fortunate I had a lot of opportunities to perform when I was a teenager and, and already start gigging and working before I started my degree, you know. So what drew you getting into jazz guitar? Like what was the 
was there an album? Was there a, a moment where it just clicked and you said, ooh, that? Yeah. Um, I had just I had just gotten a seat in my jazz band in seventh mm-hmm. grade, and I was borrowing the school's Fender Strat that they had. They had a Strat and a, and a Fender Deluxe 112 Plus amplifier, the solid state amp of the 90s. Yeah. And uh, I took it home for the summer, and I and I just said, "Hey, mom, like I know you got some jazz guitar. I need to figure out how to play jazz guitar because I'm in the jazz band. I'd never played electric guitar. I'd always had nylon string guitars. Mm-hmm. So I was 12, 11 or 12 years old. Yeah, 12. And um, yeah, she gave me a, a George Benson record uh, called Tenderly, and I thought that George was just the singer. I didn't realize he was also the guitar player. I was like, man, whoever's playing guitar on this, I really like this." <laughs> And I and I, on the in the liner notes, it said George Benson plays Ibanez guitars, and so of course, like every kid in the '90s, I'm getting the musician's friend catalog, and I'm looking mm-hmm. through musician's friend, and there's a picture of Ibanez guitars, and it's all these metal, you know, yeah. and I'm like, really, is that what he's playing? Is he playing this, this translucent green, double cut, you know, mm-hmm. 24 fret guitar? Huh, interesting. So I didn't really, and this is before the internet, you know, you couldn't really Google it. But yeah, that record, hearing his solo on Stella by Starlight, I, I, it was, it was a lightning bolt for sure. That was what I wanted mm. to do. And then the going to the summer jazz workshops, I learned what that was and who George was inspired by. The minute I heard Grant Green, I made this connection. I said, okay, well, if George was inspired by Grant, then I can be inspired by George and Grant, and I'm gonna learn how to play. Like these guys kind of learned from each other from the, from the records and and um, yeah that was that was the beginning for sure and I it's I've been hooked ever since then on on that sound. You know? When did you start going seeking out other players, going to jam sessions, if and when they were around? Yeah, the first gig I was thirteen. I did a gig at the Oregon Electric Station with Don Latarski, and he hired me for it. And he said I can pay you, you know, fifty bucks and. And we're yeah. gonna play duo for two hours, and I was so nervous. My, mm-hmm. I was so nervous. And my, my mom came to the gig, and we went over from Eugene. And um, I didn't even have an electric guitar yet. I was playing my my Takamini that I play in New West, the Evergreen guitar. <laughs> and and I get up, and the first tune he called was "The Shadow of Your Smile," and I knew it. I was learning it, but I didn't know the first chord. I played it as a half diminished, and I remember just like messing so much stuff up. And it got to the point where we were just kind of vamping on chords, and I was just sort of playing blues scales. And at the end of the gig, he gave me my cash, and I had to like immediately leave the area we were playing because it was a twenty-one and up part of the part mm-hmm. of the restaurant. And he was like, "Keep coming back. Let's have you come back another six months and play another gig with me." And you know, now that's wow. that's how this starts. You know, you just got to start getting out and playing. And I'm very grateful to Don. Um, Don, of course, is a legend in eugene he was the guy who started the guitar program at u of o very close with ralph towner and a lot of the guys in that band oregon and don is an interesting musician in his own right but a great guitar player and great teacher and for him to put you know somebody who's an eighth grader in that situation have to play for two hours i was just like man this is really overwhelming (laughs) that is a good point you bring up and i'm sure perry has his own story about like his first solo guitar gig or any of our first solo guitar gigs i remember mine i remember i i um i had my real book or my fake book whatever you want to call it with me just in case and it was terrifying and you're young and you're shorter than everyone it's really strange thinking back to the first solo guitar gigs so yes as you were leaving high school 
did you definitely want to go to Southern California? Were there other options on the table that you were considering or was it? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I got accepted to New England Conservatory in Manhattan School of Music also. And NEC gave me a good scholarship. MSM, there was no financial aid. And then USC gave me a really strong scholarship. And so mm -hmm. I kind of made the choice a little bit on that, knowing that I was probably going to end up in New York or Boston eventually for graduate work. And and I, I knew that L.A. would be a great place to go for a while, but I ultimately thought going to the East Coast would be the best place for me as a jazz musician. And, and not knowing at all when you're 18 how expensive that is or what you really need in place to do that. Mm -hmm. And I ended up loving it here in L.A. and, yeah, and finished the undergrad at SC. Started in 02, where I met Perry 20 years ago this August, and then we and then finished in 06. Yeah. So talk about how some of your teachers helped form the New West Guitar Group and put you together with Perry. Talk about, you know, guys like Pat Kelly and, and how positive they were for you guys. Yeah, so um, it was kind of an accident. You know, we were all put together in an ensemble because I think we, they placed us together because we were all kind of the jazz heads and where we were all playing a lot together. And I'm really grateful that they did that, actually, versus kind of splitting us up into some of the other guitar ensembles because mm. the department at the time had several guitar ensembles, and many of them were kind of already being categorized by genre um, or style a little bit. Of course, Super Axe was the one that had been around forever where they're playing a lot of fusion and stuff with a rhythm section. And and yeah, Richard Smith put us in a group and then he uh, it was Perry and myself, Owen Quartz, Matt Roberts, and, and um, Brian Green. And I think Zane Carney was supposed to be in it and then he ended up doing, doing another ensemble. So Brian and... Zane switched. No, oh, no, that was the following year when Brady was in. Brady came along. But anyway, we were we. I think Perry and I wanted to have a rhythm section, and um, Richard really insisted on us not having a rhythm section. And we we just kind of carried on a little bit. And we're playing tunes that first year. It was called the Stern Ensemble. And Owen, who's a singer songwriter, we did some of his songs. So the first year wasn't really New West, but we had had some ideas going forward on how to kind of play together. And then when Brian Green got the Michael Buble gig and left USC, and then Brady Cohan came in the following year, and Owen did an independent study with Pat Kelly on songwriting, that left the band to be Brady and Matt Roberts and Perry and I, and that was that was where New West started, although we didn't mm. name the group until the following spring when we went to the UNT Festival down in Addison. So fast yeah. forward, you and Perry, here you guys are. In the New West Guitar Quartet becomes the New West Guitar Group or Trio. You can just put whatever last word on it you want. Right. That's fine. Um, but talk about some of your singing, especially in the New West Guitar Group, which you haven't done any singing in the group since I've joined. But I've, you know, I've heard that there are recordings out there where you're actually singing while playing with the group. Yeah, so... We graduated school. We cut a record called Wide Awake, and we had a vocalist come in, and actually Owen came in and sang that, and then this other guy, Fletcher Sheridan. We had some other singers that came in to work with us, and and then we toured um, 07, 08, you know, right when kind of the economy was tanking. We were, we were traveling a lot in those summers. And, um, yeah, we, we did California and I would sing the intro and then there was mm -hmm. a couple folk songs. There was a Peter Paul and Mary song, or excuse me, a buddy Monlock tune we did called the kid that I sang. And the biggest gig we ever did where I sang was the Brit festival opening for Diana crawl. We sang, I, mm. I sang the kid 
there. And we kind of all reached a decision. I mean, like I love singing and I love singing in the group and I'll, I sing semi-professionally as much as not as much as I'm a hired gun guitarist, but, um, we all kind of decided that if I was going to sing, then we're going to have to really lean into that because just like the baritone guitar in new West, if we use it on everything and then we don't use it on one tune, there's sometimes a feeling of like the, something's missing a little bit. And, so we kind of just we went forward more on the instrumental side than the vo- than the singing side, and then I've always kind of sang on a lot of casual gigs around town. Like when I get hired to do wedding gigs, I'll sing standards and and then mm-hmm. um, sing. I sing a lot on Spencer Day's gig and have done that for twelve years. A lot of singing on that and. Um, yeah, and then when I did my record, I decided to do some singing on there too. But with with New West, we sort of decided in that 2008-9 era when we were really digging into the original music more than the arrangements, we mm-hmm. decided it was probably a good idea to go forward more and lean more on the instrumental side. As if the group's not hard enough with just playing guitar, then you add to it balancing voice vocals. And, you know. Well, it fascinates me because I've never been a singer or been drawn to it. Um, I think Perry is probably in a similar boat as I am. Um, however, it is such an organic form of making music that it's kind of cool that you just, I mean, obviously you've worked at it, but at the same time, you probably never made a conscious decision. You were probably just comfortable singing. Yeah. I mean, it, I also like when I was little, before I played jazz, I was singing as much as I was playing guitar. And mm-hmm. to me, it was all the same thing. And I kind of saw that all. The, it, it was when I was like in high school and college when I was trying to be in in the social clique of jazz musicians that I stopped singing because I sort of put the visors on at that point. Especially high school, I was like, man, I just want to learn bebop. I just want to play jazz guitar. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sing, and I, I regret that. I wish I wish I would have sang more in those periods, but. Um, but it's been something kind of later. My voice has changed a lot, so it's been interesting over the years to kind of experiment with that and, and to add that at times. I've been more of in a phase right now where I've been focusing more on my guitar playing again than mm-hmm. my vo- vocal stuff. Yeah. Would you say that you've learned most of what you know, <clears throat> you know, navigating a life in music? Would you say college was a necessary part of that or not necessarily a necessary part of it. It it was going into college because I didn't, as an 18 year old, I would never have had the savvy to like just move to LA and like mm-hmm. start working. And especially at the advent of the internet before social media, like making connections with other musicians, you pretty much had to go to college at that age yeah, or get a gig and have a lot of attention. Um, you know, I remember, a, uh, you know, this buddy of mine who's a few years younger than me, Julian Lodge, was, I was talking to him. He was, you know, 14 and I was 19 and I was asking, he said, yeah, I'm going to go to Berkeley for one year. And then they asked me to start teaching there at Berkeley. And I feel like I'm meeting enough musicians. So I don't think I'm going to continue in college. I remember him talking about that when he came out to L.A. and mm-hmm. Julian came to hang, do a lesson with Joe DiOrio and, and hang out with his buddy Taylor Eigsty. We were talking a lot about that then. But I felt like I needed it because I didn't have... Julian was getting a lot of attention. I felt a lot of other guitarists might have been getting more attention in their scenes. And I just needed to be around other young players that were really developing. And I did not have the chops yet to get out and really start fronting groups and playing and gigging. You know, I needed to I needed to develop some skills. So yeah, college was definitely essential, essential to me. I think that's yeah. a good point. I think in while there are a lot of ways that college has become less necessary. 
I guess from a networking standpoint, whatever, it's kind of a nasty word, but just setting you in that age right after high school in a mindset of actually living a semi-adult life with a schedule and with a regiment, I think that is pretty irreplaceable. So, And I mean, it kind of gave me an income too. I had a great scholarship and work study at USC, so I was able to, to make it, you know. And um, I definitely would. I mean, USC, I owe a lot to USC. I owe a lot to the faculty. Mm-hmm. Um, and today, I think it's a little different, too. I mean, I don't know if, if today, if I was entering out of high school, maybe I would have gone to a community college because there's so much we can network with online now. But but USC was such a special time in, in those years. And it was, uh, man, I'm so happy I was there then in those in, yeah. in that time, you know, and we did. I mean, New West would never have started if it wasn't for us there, for sure. Um, you know, we were really sent out after USC of helping us do a record to really get that going, you know, mm-hmm. to five and six. So in addition to playing with New West Guitar Group, you also play with Jeff Goldblum, which is quite a unique gig. And I'm hoping you can tell us about how that came to be. Yeah, um, well... Uh, so yeah, Jeff, I've been working with Jeff since 2012 and, um, Bruce Foreman and Anthony Wilson were playing with him randomly around town when Jeff was just playing pickup gigs. And Jeff's been doing that since the late eighties. He's just kind of been hosting piano nights and open mic nights at random places like Chateau Marmont. For those who are listening, it's kind of like one of these exclusive kind of bougie Hollywood celebrity hangouts. So yeah, Bruce couldn't make a gig. He recommended me for it, and um, I'm. And then Bruce was busy. Bruce moved back up to Carmel, and Bruce and I were kind of splitting the chair for a minute. And then I think Jeff we, Jeff started leaning into it a little bit more in 2014, and so I started doing more of it and doing more arranging for the group and coming up with ideas on how to do the shows alongside our mm-hmm. manager John Mastro, and then. Yeah, 2014 was really when that band really kind of broke and um, got signed to Verve, and then they we've done a done two of the three records thus far with that. And um, yeah, it's been an interesting journey seeing that and seeing how they how Verve and Decca and Universal have developed Jeff, not just as an actor, but but also like in their music catalog and kind of how how they're doing that. And uh, it's been a really fun opportunity to play some huge gigs that just I would, you know, in any other straight ahead jazz situation, I would never, you know, play a, a festival like where we've gone and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's been really fun. I've learned a lot on that gig about stage presence and how to reel in an audience and how to, how to do musical directing and, and all of that work. So, Do you feel that being a guitarist, you know, based in Southern California on the West coast, what are, what are some of the things that you learned outside of, your playing ability that really helps you be more successful as a working musician, as an entertainer, as a performer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I think that the West coast, uh, because our jazz scene is smaller than the East coast. If we're comparing it directly to the East coast, I think you might have to get a little more creative here with how you actually develop your, um, artistic presence, both within the community and then in the global sphere a little bit so mm-hmm. you know people kind of automatically assume if you're from the west coast you're playing a lot of styles of music or if you're playing jazz you're doing i don't know something that's more compartmentalized within jazz like a and and 
that has posed some challenges for me. I mean, I love playing jazz, but I love playing other styles of music too. And there's different kinds of gigs here. So yeah, I've, I've tried to get creative and with the teaching to kind of lean into different ways to teach people. Like I've, I've been really curious since the pandemic about not just how to teach people beginning guitar or in, or guitar of anything, but like how to talk to other members of the community about better ways to book gigs. Mm -hmm. um, I've been coaching at my college and at a few area colleges. I do a workshop on, on musician budgeting and help musicians learn how to kind of get, get on track with their finances a little bit. And it's been, mm -hmm. that's been something that I've been really fascinated with. And I think just the nature of how musicians have careers here um, has kind of inspired me to, to try doing some other stuff other than just being a straight ahead jazz guitar player, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so you teach at Pierce college and mm -hmm. you've got some, some combos, some bands that you're running. And so now you starting to lead future generations into music. What are some trends that you're seeing in younger generations of musicians? Um, well, I, I work with community college students, and mm -hmm. which kind of is not just younger musicians. There's a lot of adults that are going back to school to study okay, music. Yeah. And yeah, I think that there's a, there's a real entrepreneurial spirit amongst people of all ages I'm seeing. Like I have a guy who's in his 50s who's in at Pierce studying with me, and he's getting a comp degree. And, you know, he wants to start a business composing tracks for film and TV. And he's been in the film and TV business, so he really gets it. And he's like, this is such a great time to do this right now. It's really interesting to get his perspective. And younger students, too, like building a brand. This idea, like you hear 19, 20-year-olds yeah. say, like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm trying to do this kind of work, like influencing. And, and then they're also working on their craft. They're trying to be better musicians and singers and Per, you know, producers. So when I was in college, we, we all really focused on a craft, you know, for us, it was getting better at the guitar and learning right. better, you know, learning about music as a whole. But now I'm a lot of the students I work with at the community college level, and it's really inspiring. I, I think that's great. I, I like the attitude they have. It's not the, the doldrum of like the music business is over. I just see a lot of students that are like, man, I want to take advantage of this. And mm -hmm. there's a new platform here. And there's this and it's 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 really cool. I've learned a lot from my students and and I think that they're really smart going to these community colleges for two years before going to a school like USC or CSUN because then they can decide if they want to be a music industry person or a performing major. It's mm -hmm. so they're making smarter choices, I feel like, in some ways. <laughs> you know. Do you think you if you had to choose, which you don't, but if you had to, would you rather be a live performer or someone only asked to just nail the music and really play the music but like not as much featured visually or you know in a show sense what do you think would you rather be a live performer or oh. maybe someone like a studio thing yeah if you had definitely to choose one? definitely playing live definitely in front of an audience mm -hmm. yeah, for sure mm -hmm. yeah I've, and that's I've, i think that's that's come about from just a lot of the t touring gigs i've done as a sideman and as a leader like with new west i mean you just the experience of doing something where you're more of a leader versus where you're more of a sideman. To me, I, I really enjoy both experiences. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'd say performing and it's coming back. I mean, I know you guys probably feel that way too. It's like, finally I'm starting to see that all of what I had built all those years then had to take all that time off. And now a lot of these opportunities are coming back, which is pretty exciting. I did want to feature a little bit of your playing. If our cohort Perry Smith, 
would be so kind. I think I want to play the song of you singing first. I This is my favorite song on your album, Ponderosa. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, I think this is from 2018, right? Uh, 19. 2019. Close enough. And this is Roll On Columbia, yeah. Roll On. Columbia, roll on. Your power is turning our darkness to dawn. So roll on, Columbia, roll on. Douglas firs where the waters cut through Down her wild mountains and canyons she flew Canadian northwest to the ocean so blue Roll on Columbia, roll on Roll on Columbia, roll on Roll on Columbia, roll on Your power is turning our darkness to dawn So roll on Columbia, roll on Other great rivers add power to you. It's a mighty fine voice, John. Hey, mighty fine voice. Thanks, bro. Well, <laughs> I had to really get in there and work on that voice to do anything in there. So thank you. Appreciate that. So here's a question. Can you remember one of the most, like, A, extremely difficult musical situation that you had to navigate that taught you something about yourself? Oh man. Um let me think. Yeah, I know it's difficult. It's um Yeah, actually. Um I've, I've I did a session for a film composer uh who remained nameless <laughs> who um had a really nice guitar score on this movie. And it mm -hmm. was a bigger feature film and a um, lot of steel string guitar, and I got recommended at the last minute for it, and it was a really random job. And I, I and I, I looked at the charts because they sent me some of the temp stuff, and I listened to a few of the temp mock-ups, and I was like, oh, man, this is going to be great. I can go in there and just, like, it was actually a part like what you just heard me play, really strumming kind of G, C, and D, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I go in there, and um, I'm recording with, with a couple other musicians. It wasn't a full rhythm section by any stretch. It was like upright bass and a cello and a piano, kind of a keyboard guy. So we're recording all at the same time. So I'm laying down all this rhythm guitar stuff. And and everybody in the studio was like, yeah, it sounds great, man. And then we go in and the guy's like, yeah, it's great, but can you, okay, right there, can you fix that? Can you fix that? Can you fix that? And so he was going through and like he wanted it he wanted it to sound like the MIDI track. He wanted it to sound, wow, and he was yeah. not a guitar player and he was not a rhythm section player either. So I spent the rest of the afternoon and evening in there retracking these chords and trying to get every string to ring out and get no pick noise and string noise. And man, it was, it was tough. And I had to really keep like my temper in check <laughs> and I had to really keep, yeah. you know, you, you just, you're reminded in those situations. What I learned from that to answer the question is um, so much of being a professional musician is service. You have to service other people's needs in terms of what they need for, for you to do. Unless you're a solo artist doing everything that you want and just doing your thing. And, and for me, that was my job that day was to do that. And everybody who's in kind of a service industry, I think, will feel that scale from time to time where you're like somebody's so nitpicky on you and you just are about ready to like break 
and like, I can't do this. No, mm-hmm. you're crazy for asking me to do to re-record that G chord. That G chord sounds great, you know. Just let me double it, <laughs> as we yeah. know in New West. And I learned I learned a lot that day. I learned that like you you have to have a you have to have a real inner self restraint, and you have to you ha- you know show them that you care while being really clear and direct and always giving your best and saying things like I think that's the best I can get it but I'll try it again if you want me to and just like you know I that was a frustrating session but it ended up being one of the bigger film sessions I've ever done and it, it was really worth doing it's led me to some other stuff and had I blown up at the guy or gotten pissed or ran out of there you know like some musicians then i wouldn't get called for that work again and other musicians would talk about what a dick i was so i just these are important things to understand and so much of what we do is is service so i that was that was an example of that and i hadn't felt that way before really (laughs) it was pretty frustrating but it was also an interesting experience so we have another track of yours and i think this is a, a a great representation of your sound and your style because the acts you play and even you know the the sound you get it's a very crisp and round sound is the way i would describe your sound uh yeah um that's thank you that's cool and and that i i like a brighter sound in mm-hmm. a lot of ways i do i i really do i'm i don't like the super dark stuff but that's, right. that's just me in general well let's listen to some crisp and round playing by mr story crisp on the new west guitar group track pacific Blues. is that from every big city is that from every from big city okay Mm -hmm. wow Mm -hmm. yeah okay i hadn't heard that in a minute (laughs) you know if i hear you playing on a telecaster or an l5 the acoustic guitar is different but i can very much hear your sound like that round crisp sound which is really interesting thanks if you just put another axe in someone's hand and you can still kind of hear them i think that's an interesting signature to everyone's sound it's a goal. Yeah, that's definitely a goal. That's interesting because my yeah, I feel like my tone's changed a little bit since since then too, in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. My, the attack, I, I don't have as much attack on my playing as I used to. But so um, yeah. as as we start to wrap up, are there things on your to do list in the future that you're really hoping to check off? Are you writing some music or are you thinking about new projects? What's on the horizon other than Getting married. That's right. Getting married in August. So that's a big horizon moment for sure. So super stoked about that. Um, And then in addition, just, yeah, professionally, um, I've got a new recording project I've been working on this year um, that's a tribute to Jim Hall. um, Mm -hmm. As I was gifted his Fender DeQuisto by Jane last year, which has been a pretty amazing experience. And I've been just kind of getting into this getting into Jim's music again and I've been recording with some of the guys that recorded a lot with Jim back in the day and so working on getting that out maybe by this fall or early next year 
Mm-hmm. Um, that project might take a couple different forms too. I'm not quite sure yet if I'll release it as a disc or release it just as some videos. You know, I think that's a lot of us are facing those kinds of questions these days and figuring out how to promote that or what that's going to be about. And um, yeah, other than that, I've been uh, writing a lot for some online education stuff like EliteGuitarist.com. Mm-hmm. Um, been starting to work with Chase Maddox at Jazz Memes and some other projects coming down the, w- the way for online teaching. And um, yeah, and then besides that too, I, I've just I've set a goal right now after the pandemic that just every week I'm playing at least a couple times with a with a great rhythm section with different guys, different drummers kind of Mm -hmm. playing with a lot of different drummers right now and there's been some new projects that i've been called to play for recently that's been pretty fun and and i'll be on the road most of the fall so that's exciting too getting married and then just (laughs) hitting the road so you know it's gonna be gonna be a crazy time but um yeah yeah, it's been exciting working on high action with everybody i've certainly learned a lot over the last two years doing the podcast and it's fun to kind of wrap up here um, getting to interview everybody. I'm stoked to do your guys' interviews too. Yeah. Well, John, thanks for indulging us and letting us dive into your, your history and your exciting future. And, uh, that was part one of the origin series. I believe the (laughs) next, the next gentleman to be interviewed will be Perry Smith and John will be leading that interview. That's right. And, uh, I think it's actually you, Will. Am I the next one? Yeah. I'm Are you interviewing be, me I'm or is John? Be, I'm going to oh, be interviewing you. Shit. Now. Yeah, Perry. I might sub that one out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See what you can do. Yes. No, no, no. Let's just how about Perry, you and I talk about Will for an hour on the podcast. Yes. That'd third be an person. interesting, interesting discussion to Yeah, we can really get get into the details of his playing. I really wish you played this part a little differently on that yeah. song. I really wish you Remember the time we were on the road and he did that? That really pissed me off. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, don't worry about it, Will. Don't show up next week. We got it. We got you. It's all it's all coming. Yes. We're gonna we're gonna do all three and then we're gonna do a roast, right? Where we all get to roast each other. Right. Yeah. Right. That'll be our highest viewed or listened to episode for sure at that Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, any uh, any closing thoughts, guys? Perry, I know you didn't get to chat a lot today. You want to chime in on anything about Mr. Story? Uh, man, you covered a bunch of great stuff. And yeah, like like John said, we met in 2002. So I pretty much knew everything he was going to answer. I, I already knew the answers to all of it. Right. I was like, yep, right. that sounds right. That sounds right. That's... That sounds right. Um, uh, that's funny. But yeah. Well done, John. Yeah, 20 well years. Thanks. And, and for again, for our followers, we just appreciate you guys sticking around. Season two has been fun. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming up for our next season, too. If you guys want to connect with us, follow us on Patreon and on our Instagram page, too. And uh, don't forget, you guys can also, we've got some new promo codes coming at you for you guys purchasing Henriksen amplifiers. Use the promo code HIGHACTION. You get a discount directly from Henriksen for your amplifiers. So be sure to go there. And um, also, for those who are attending the Rocky Mountain Archtop Festival in Colorado in September, New West will be a featured artist there. So we hope to see many of our listeners out in Colorado in September. Definitely. All right. See you next week. Tune in next time. Adios. Adios.